Heavenly Father, we pray that you might open our eyes and help us to see more and more all that you are and all that you want to be in our lives. Give us ears to hear and help us to discover all that you have for us and the value, the significance of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. number of years ago, my son Josh introduced our family to geocaching. If any of you are familiar with geocaching, you know that what it is basically is a treasure hunt. It's an opportunity to go and find for yourself some buried treasure. But those of you that aren't familiar, let me just describe a little bit about how it works. What you need if you're going to do some geocaching is, first of all, you need a computer. You need to go online to the website, and there you will find a listing of all the different possible treasures that are available. There are a bunch of them here in Wisconsin. They're all across the country, lots of different places where you can go to look for them. So, but you want to pick one nearby or maybe a place where you're vacationing, and um, then on the site, it'll describe for you a little bit about this treasure, the theme of it. And you will also need to have a handheld GPS so that when you go to the website, it'll tell you some coordinates. The coordinates are where the treasure is buried. And so you program those coordinates into your handheld device, and then you take off. And it tells you the direction and just how far away it is. And you just keep on going until you get within, oh, say, about 30, 40 feet from where it's located. And then, unfortunately, at least the GPS units that we have are exact. And so that's where the real fun comes. When our family does this together... When we arrive at this spot where we're not exactly sure, but we know we're in the right ballpark, that's the time when everybody needs to join in and hunt. And you need to look under, you need to look up, you need to look all kinds of unusual places where you think that little treasure just might be. And then if everything goes well, some one of us will suddenly say, I found it! And because they found it, they have the honor of opening up the box and looking inside. Now, I need to tell you that the exciting thing about geocaching isn't what's in the box. What you'll find in the box, generally speaking, are some little trinkets and all kinds of unusual oddities. And what the person that finds it can do is there's usually a little tablet there. You write your name and maybe a little thought to the person that hid it. And you take out one item, and then you want to put in another item of equal value so that the next person that finds it has something equally exciting to look for. But the real joy is in finding. The real joy is in discovering. And in a way, 
That's something that Jesus teaches us in our scripture this morning. We're continuing on in our series of Proverbs in Matthew chapter 13, and I'd invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Two parallels, again, like some in the past, are parallel parallels. They both have basically the same message, but with just a few little differences. They're both very straightforward. A man is out busy working in the field. Now, he is probably not the owner of the field. He is simply a servant. He's a worker. He's got his plow, and he's busy, and all of a sudden, to his surprise, he uncovers something remarkable. And the more that he digs and the more he uncovers, he realizes that this is a treasure. And he realizes that he wants that treasure more than anything else in the whole world. But if he simply takes it out of the ground... That treasure will not be his very long because it rightfully belongs to the person who owns that land. So what he does is he covers it back up. And then he goes and he sells everything that he's got and he buys the land because more than anything, he wants that treasure. Second story is quite similar, only in this case, it's not a, an unexpected discovery, but it's something a person's been searching for all of his life. Again, it says that the king of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. He's been busy, and he has a thing for pearls, and he's been finding them all of his life. But what he's looking for, what he wants more than anything, is the biggest, the most valuable, the most precious pearl. And when he finally comes across it, he knows what he has to do. He sells all of his pearls. He sells everything so that he can buy that pearl of great price. Well, those are the parables. Now, what exactly do they mean to us? In order to look more carefully at these parables and understand their meaning for us, the first thing we need to do is think about the kingdom of heaven. Because this is the fifth parable in the series. They all begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. 
the kingdom of heaven is like. Kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about. And we need to go back a little bit and review some of the things that we have learned about the kingdom of heaven. The first thing we know is that as Jesus is talking about this parable, he's describing something that the people understand. The people of his day know very well what it means to live in a kingdom because Israel was a kingdom for a long, long time. They had many, many different kings. They knew what it meant to live under a king who ruled and who governed. Most of the kings were bad, but then the second king... King David was a very good king. He was a king who loved the Lord with all of his heart, who wanted to serve the Lord faithfully. And when the time came, Jesus made a promise to David. He said, one of your descendants will always be on the throne of the kingdom of Israel. Eternal covenant. But as history goes on, we know that most of the kings took Israel farther and farther away from the Lord. They they did not love the Lord. They didn't obey the Lord. And what happens is eventually they pay the price and they find themselves taken off into captivity. And the Lord tells them, you know, it's their own fault. They have not been obedient to him. They have not loved him. And they need to be punished. And what the Lord tells them in Micah chapter 4 is you will go to Babylon. Babylon was going to overcome them, and they would be taken into captivity in Babylon. But, he continues, there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hands of your enemies. The former dominion will be restored to you. The kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion. There's a lot of verses like this in the Old Testament. It's the hope that they have that even though they were in captivity, one day they'd come back to the land. And they did. But of course we know they didn't remain there as a kingdom very long because before long Rome came and conquered their little kingdom and they lived in tyranny under the the domination of the Roman Empire. And the people longed for that coming kingdom. They longed for the time when the Lord would come. Because what they understood is that a kingdom is where the Lord will rule over the earth, bringing justice and peace. And that's the kingdom they were looking for. But what they didn't understand is that before the Lord could come as king, he needed to come as the Savior. And it tells us in Scripture that when Jesus was born, there were some kings, some wise men, whatever they were, that came from a distance, and they came to look for 
Jesus. And they came to the palace and they asked, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And so what Herod does is he calls together some people who would know. He calls together the rulers, the priests, the scribes, and they understand the scriptures. And so they turn to Micah 5, verse 2, and they quote, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will become a ruler, a king, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. The people that knew their Bibles, they knew there was a king coming, they knew where he would be born, and they directed the wise men to the place where they would find Jesus. But they really didn't believe those scriptures themselves. They really didn't, they weren't convinced about this coming king. But there were some, there were some who longed and hoped and dreamed for that coming king. But about that same time, when Jesus was being, was coming forth to be born, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells her she, that refers to Mary, will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came the first time, to be the Savior. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, turned to his disciples, pointed to him, and said, there he is. The one who will save us from our sins. He understood. But a little bit later on, John went through his own times of trouble. And he was in prison. And his hopes and his dreams were crushed. And he began to wonder himself whether or not Jesus really was the one. And he sent some of his followers and uh, his disciples came to Jesus and they asked, are you the one who was to come or should we expect another? And the disciples, when Jesus was on his way to the cross, were equally confused. They didn't understand. The Messiah, as they understood, it wasn't one who was supposed to die. He was supposed to live and rule and bring peace and justice. But first, Jesus had to come to die on the cross as Savior. And then he would come again in glory. And he would rule. And he will rule. And we still long for the day when our Lord will return to this world. And it tells us in the book of Revelation that there is a coming day when Jesus will come to earth. After he returns in glory, he will bring his kingdom. 
He will rule on a throne in Jerusalem. He is that descendant of David, that eternal king that fulfills the promise given to David. And those hopes and dreams will one day be fulfilled. But in the meantime, he does rule and he does reign right now. For after he died on the cross, we know that 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, which is the place of authority, the place of all power. And the kingdom of God right now is taking place. For the Lord is ruling over his people. In this world, he wants to rule in our hearts. And as we surrender our will to him and allow him to come into our life and we submit to him as our Savior and as our Lord, what happens is we become a part of the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom at this point in time, until the time when the Lord returns once again to bring his plan to fulfillment. This is the kingdom that Jesus is describing in his parables in Matthew chapter 13. The first parable tells us how when the planter comes and plants the seed. Jesus is the sower. He's planting his seed, the gospel. And when it's received in the hearts of his people, they become part of the kingdom. And we also learned in the next parable how the evil one also is busy planting seeds. He is planting weeds to grow side by side in the kingdom with the Lord's kingdom. And that's why there's so much pain and so much struggle. There's sickness and disease. And it doesn't even seem like the Lord is in control of things because we see all the evil that's going on in our world and we wonder, what kind of kingdom is this? But the Lord explains that both kingdoms must coexist together until the time of judgment. And then he will separate the wheat from the tares. And then he will bring his eternal kingdom to earth. But in the meantime, he assures us that his kingdom is growing. It's growing, it's expanding greatly, even though we sometimes can't see it. It's just like taking a little bit of yeast and mixing it in with the bread and the bread expands and it grows in the same way God's kingdom is very much alive and it continues to grow day by day as the disciples are spreading more seeds and sharing their love and reaching out to those around them. More and more people are responding to Christ. His word is continuing to grow and to prosper. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's growing. And that brings us 
Through this morning's parables, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that is worth all it costs. We need to catch up a little bit on the slides there. One more. The kingdom is worth all that it costs. That's the main point of the two parables that we are looking at this morning. And as we look at this parable and personalize it, I want you to think a little bit about that treasure that Jesus talks about. The treasure that was found. You know, each one of us have treasures. Some of us are rich and our treasures are bigger than other people's treasures. You know, most of us probably don't have an awful lot, but what we have becomes a treasure to us. And what I'd like for you to think about with me is really what a treasure is. What is a treasure? And the first thing we need to understand is that a treasure is simply something that's precious. Something that is important to us. Think in your life, what is most important to you? And maybe children come to mind. Children are precious. There is no more precious gift that a parent could possibly have than children. We love them, we care for them, we want to surround them with good things, we want the very best for them, and sometimes when things happen that are beyond our control and they go through difficult times, it breaks our heart. Because they're precious to us. They mean so much to us. But let me tell you, Children cannot be our treasure. We can love them and we can care for them, but what we really need to do is come to that place where we willingly take our children and place them in Jesus' hands and dedicate them to him. Because he alone knows what's best for our children. And when things break in their lives that we are no longer able to fix, what they need to know is that there's a Savior who can help them when we cannot. We cannot cling to them. We cannot keep them. We need to release them and let them go. It begins with coming to that place of presenting our children to the Lord and giving them to him. Trusting that he knows what's best. But there's other treasures that we have in our life as well. As you journey through life, you collect a lot of things. A couple of years ago, we owned a bigger house. We had 14 rooms. We had all kinds of stuff all over the place. And when the time came to move to a smaller place, the most difficult thing was deciding what things will we part with. What things do we have to give up? And the truth is, 
a lot of things become very important to us. Some of them maybe are things that we receive from an important person in our lives. And as we see that item, it reminds us of that person and their love and, and all that they mean to us. And it's transferred to that item and it becomes important to us. And we just don't really want to part with it. But possessions are not very good treasures either. The truth is, sometimes the things that are our biggest treasure aren't things that we have, but also things that we would like to have, but we just can't quite afford right now. Maybe our treasure is something that we long for and we dream for and we hope for, but until we win the lottery, there's no way in the world we're ever going to have it. But yet we want it. We want it. It's something that we're searching for. Maybe it's that elusive something that's going to bring happiness and fulfillment into our lives. Sometimes there are things in our life that we become attached to because they are our security. Maybe it's our savings. Maybe it's our job. We have worked all of our life and worked hard to get to the very top, and now we reach a place where we've got the status that we want. People look up to us with pride, and we have things that we want. But we need to be careful because a business as important as it might be, or a career as meaningful as it might be for us, it's only for a time. And the time comes when we need to let those things go because they aren't the ultimate security. We need something more, something that won't be taken away, something that won't fall apart, a security that's lasting. And maybe that's what we're longing for. Maybe that's what we're looking for. In this parable, you are the person in the field. And you have found a treasure, an incredible treasure. But yet you wonder as you think about it, is this treasure really valuable enough for me to give up the treasures I have? Am I willing to part with those things that are so important to me? Like our children this morning, a lot of times we just shake our heads and we say, I don't know. I'm not sure that it's valuable enough for me to give up everything for that treasure. Sometimes there's things that we cling to, things that we just can't let go. And they keep us from the greatest treasure. In fact, you might remember in Scripture the story 
that, well, it wasn't a story, it's a story in the Gospels about the rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus, and he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, follow the commandments. And he said, oh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I, I, I do that. I do all that. Really. What else do I need to do? And Jesus said, how about if you go and sell all that you have and come and follow me? And the scripture says, the rich young ruler went away sad. Sad. Because what Jesus did is he put his finger on the one thing he couldn't ever let go of. Now that text doesn't mean that everybody who follows Jesus has to sell everything. But what it does mean is that if Jesus is your Savior, if he is your Lord, he comes first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, Jesus, that will be added to you. Put me first. Trust me. And that involves releasing to him Whatever he asks of you. Sometimes he needs it. Sometimes there's others he brings your way who need something of your treasure. And you need to be willing to give it. To share it. To open the doors of your home. To help those around you who are in need to share the many blessings God has given to us. We don't have to get rid of all of them necessarily. We need to support our family. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to be responsible. But when the Lord tells us something to do, we need to do it. That's what a servant does. And if Jesus is Lord, he needs to have first place in our lives. He cannot be your Lord and then be demoted to second place or third or fourth. But yet, I have to be honest with you. I've been a pastor for 35 years before retiring. And I have lived long enough to know that it's not very easy to give up everything even for the Lord. It's just not an easy thing to do. But there's a couple of things that I want to share with you this morning that can help. Some steps that you can take to help yourself keep Jesus as the first thing in your life, as the most important part of your life. And in order to understand the first thing, I want us to look again at that second parable. Now, when we looked at the parables the first time, we put ourselves as the person that was seeking. We put Jesus as the treasure that we're seeking. And he's the one that is most valuable. It's his kingdom. It's 
his will for our life. It's his plan for our life. And we are seeking to find that. But now what I'd like for us to do is to turn it around. There's another way that these parables have been interpreted by a number of uh, scholars. And uh, there's another way that I find very meaningful and helpful. And I want to share it with you. Instead of Jesus being the treasure, we want to put Jesus as the person that is seeking the one that's looking for the pearl of great price. It's Jesus. And actually, we are the pearl. That most valuable pearl. A lot of times, society says you're just a number. You're just one of millions of people. Nobody really cares about you. But Jesus does. And what Jesus did is he put aside his glory. He put aside his honor. He left it behind in heaven to come and be clothed as a human being like one of us. He gave those things up because he was willing to come into this world and to die on the cross for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves us. And he left heaven to come to earth. And he humbled himself and he was born as a little helpless baby who had to be cared for, who had to be fed, he couldn't do anything. He came to grow up in this ugly world of sin and pain, to be rejected at every turn, and finally to be nailed to the cross where he paid the penalty, the price of our sin. Because he loved us. And he wants us more than anything to be a part of his kingdom. To be a part of all that he's doing in this world. He came to die on the cross for us. To bring us forgiveness. To adopt us into his family that we might become a child of God. He gave us his Holy Spirit to live in us and give us the power to do what is right and to follow him. He has blessed us with so much. And the more you understand what Jesus has done for you, the more the things of this world will become less important to you. And secondly, another thing that you can do besides giving thanks to God and focusing on God and appreciating what he's done for you is you can also I'll tell you when I come to page four. You 
you can also draw closer to Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you have opened your heart to Christ, he expects you to continue to grow. If your heart has received the seed of the gospel and you are open and you're desiring the Lord, he will help you to keep growing and growing and you need to draw closer and closer to him. Spending time in his word and looking and carefully understanding more and more about God's plan for your life and what he wants you to do and the steps he wants you to take. He will guide you. He will lead you. But you need to be willing to follow him and to love him and to keep him first. And the closer you get to Jesus... The more time that you spend in prayer talking with him, the more time you unplug your ears and listen to his word, the more you will come to put him first. And the things of the world will become almost insignificant in comparison to Jesus. And thirdly, another thing that you can do is begin to really seriously invest in his kingdom. Jesus in, the math, in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount told his disciples what they need to do. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The more we make the Lord our treasure, the more that we give to him, the more we start storing up treasures in a place where nobody can touch them. On ahead in glory, where we plan to spend eternity. There's no better place. What are you doing with your treasures? What is most important to you? Are there things that you're clinging to? Are there things that are keeping you from the very best that God has? Let them go. Ask God to help you. Because the fourth thing that I, we need to understand is that if we keep our eyes on the Lord, if we trust him, he'll help us. He will help us to draw closer, to experience him, and to keep him first. Later in life, Paul shares in Philippians chapter 3 that his quest, as we sang this morning, is to know Jesus. Knowing him, there's nothing more important. And the more that we get to know him, the more we make our life quest a journey of drawing closer to the Lord, the more, like Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul reminds us in Philippians 
that God is at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. And if we allow him to work in our lives, he'll help us. He will continue to work in your life until it is complete. That's his promise to you. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Don't get discouraged. Don't get down on yourself. Truth is, we all stumble. We all have obstacles we need to overcome. But as you strive to know the Lord, as you keep your eyes on him and give thanks for all that he's doing in your life, as you draw closer to him, coming to him for refreshment, coming to him to pray when you're in need. The more that you draw on the Lord, he answers. And he will draw you to him. And before you know it, the most important thing in your life will be the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you loved us so much, that you were coming, willing to come into this world to rescue us, to set us free from our sins, from our griefs, Lord, you gave your blood. You gave all of your life. You gave all of your tears for us. Oh, Lord, remind us of the cost of the treasure. And Lord, give us grace and strength that we might continue to seek you to serve you faithfully. Help us take steps day by day to draw closer, to be more faithful. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus.